This episode of Software Social is brought to you by Reform. As a business owner, you need forms all the time for lead capture, user feedback, SaaS onboarding, job applications, early access signups, and many other types of forms. Here's how Reform is different. Your brand shines through, not Reform's. It's accessible out of the box, and there are no silly design gimmicks like frustrating customers by only showing one question at a time. Join indie businesses like Fathom Analytics and SavvyCal and try out Reform. Software Social listeners get one month free by going to reform.app social and using the promo code social on checkout. Welcome back, Software Social listeners. Colleen here, and I am super excited to bring you a special guest today. Today on the podcast, we have Nadia Oduwayo, the founder of Storygraph. Storygraph is a site that helps you track your reading and choose your ne- next book based on your mute- mood and your favorite topics and themes. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I would love to start with a little bit about your background. You are an economist by trade, right? Right. So my degree was philosophy, politics, and economics. Goodness. And I focused, I focused mainly on the economic side. I was more into the math, mathematical side of things. And I was heading into investment banking post-university. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. And I was just lucky with the people I met in my final year of uni. I'd done a summer internship in the banking world, and I was just very not very enthused with it. It just felt, I felt like there was more to life. (laughs) And um, in my final year of uni, I met so many young entrepreneurs and people running social enterprises and charities. And I just felt like I've always felt entrepreneurial. And I just thought, you know, I want to go into, that feels more me. And I'd also started a creative writing online publication called The Storygraph. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that had given me the first taste of running my own thing. Okay. And so I, yeah, and I was lucky to meet people who were in the tech space as well. And that's when I started to be familiar with, oh, maybe I should learn how to code. And yeah, essentially, I I got, I won a couple of places on coding courses. And that's how I got into software post-university. So did you go work at all in investment banking? Or did you go right from college or university to learning how to code? So I had a graduate offer for a bank. Okay. And I turned okay. that down. And then I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I'd applied for this entrepreneurship scheme and I got to the final round. And I remembered that when I was filling out the form, there was a checkbox that said, we may be piloting a new coding course for women. Do you want to be considered for this? And I was just like, why not check the box? I wasn't really interested. Um, And I thought, why not? You know, and so when I, I remember I got the call from the one of the people who run the program and they said, we've got good news and bad news. And I was like, I immediately knew I didn't get into the main program. So I said, well, what's the what's the bad news? And I was like, yeah, you didn't quite make it. And I was like, OK, what's the good news? And she said, we're going to give you a, we're going to do this program. It's called Code First Girls and we're going to give you a place. And I remember at the time I was just so disappointed and not getting a place in this entrepreneurship program because it was meant to be my ticket out of not going into the bank that I just thought what do I want with this coding course and then I remember thinking about it and realizing that I was also offered like the next day I was offered a summer internship at my college at Oxford where I was and so I thought you know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work in Oxford for a bit after uni I'm gonna travel to London 
twice a week. I was from London, but I was at, you know, I was in Oxford and, and I'm going to learn to code and then figure it out from there. And it's so, I'm so glad I did that. And then while I was on this twice a week coding course, I saw a tweet saying, we're doing a competition for someone to win a free place at Makers Academy, which was a new software bootcamp in London at the time. And I had a taste of this coding thing. I saw how powerful it was. And so I said, I'm going to apply for this scholarship, free place. And I got the scholarship. And so then I did a three month boot camp at the beginning of 2014, immediately after, or at the end of 2013, rather, immediately after the uh, two months that I spent at Oxford traveling twice a week to do the part-time coding course. So that's how I you know, switched into software from being like all along since I was like 12, 13, I was going down the investment banking route. Wow. Did you get pushback from yourself or from your family to have invested so much time at Oxford, no less, and then be like, I'm going to go do this coding boot camp? Yes. So it was actually quite funny. I come from a poorer background and I remember that, you know, the reason why I was going down the investment banking route since I was young is because when I was at school, you know, it was always this typical doctor, lawyer, and your banker, just something like that. And I remember we had this day where you could go with your parents or a parent to work with them. And I remember trying to go with my dad, who's an accountant, or like uh, my mom worked for herself at home. And and my dad was like, no, you should find someone who works in a bank or something like that. And so I went with my best friend at the time. Her dad worked at UBS. And, you know, when you're 14, everything looks so amazing. And like, so I remember going and seeing the trading floor and seeing all these like men and women dressed up in their suits and carrying their blackberries. And I remember at the time thinking, I want to be like them. And it wasn't until I was doing the internship when I was, you know, so in between my second and third year of uni that I was just disillusioned. And I was like, oh, like, this is not very fulfilling. This is not like, I feel like there's more I can do and give and and so that's when I got disillusioned when I was like about 18 and I was thinking this isn't really exciting I'm not sure of the value that I'm bringing while doing this work and I also just thought there must be more because I was working so hard at it was quite academic and I was working so hard at, at my studies and I thought is this it and so when this whole entrepreneurship software thing came up it was very yeah it was so much more appealing and exciting. Wow so after you did the boot camp did you then get a job? Your Rails background, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ruby Rails. So back yeah. then, the, the main focus was Ruby Rails. And right. it was funny because I went to, there was this jobs fair, tech jobs fair. And it was during during the course. The point of the course is you do the 12 weeks and then they help you get a job. And I just thought, I didn't plan to get a job. I just said, let me go to this jobs fair and see what's out there. Because even when I started the boot camp, in my mind, I still thought, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, I'm going to be an <laughs> entrepreneur. But, you know, since I will know about coding, I'll know how to talk to developers. Like I had just, you know, <laughs> stereotypes in my head of, you know, developers don't talk to people. And I can never be a good developer anyway, because I'm starting at, you know, 19. Um, but <laughs> started at like 30. So, or like 21, rather. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I honestly thought, I thought that was it. So when I went to this fair, like for the first few weeks, I honestly thought, yeah, it's just going to help me be a better entrepreneur. But then I realized, no, this, first of all, I loved, I I enjoyed it. And I was pretty good at it. I wasn't amazing. I wasn't amazing, but, you know, I could do it. And I saw how powerful it was because I said to myself, you know, I also started to think about what being an entrepreneur meant. And I, and I realized how empty that was without 
an idea, something that I was keen to work on or that was useful. And so I said to myself, well, you know, if you focus in on this coding thing, then if you do have a great idea, you can build a prototype yourself. You don't have to hire anyone. You don't have to rely on anyone. But, you know, if you don't have a great idea or whatever you're working on doesn't work out, then you have a skill that people always need and will pay for. And so that's when I kind of, like a month into the bootcamp, I kind of made that switch of, I need to go all in on this software thing. I should work as a software developer for a while. And yeah, when I went to this fair, I ended up, I didn't know how well-known or big the the company Pivotal was, Pivotal Labs at the time, but I got talking to the person. Yeah, Yeah, I just went there. (laughs) I was trying to find my way out. And I saw this one man, I kept on getting lost. And so I, I asked for directions out because I kept on going the wrong way. And as I was going to the exit, there was this one table that was very empty, but there was one, there was no one else there apart from the people who were monitoring that table. And I just thought, Pivotal, that was one of the companies that I'd, like I'd, when I was looking at the the list of companies the, the night before, I'd listed it out. Why not just stop by? And anyway, long story short is I was invited to, you know, come in and learn more and I just got put into the interview process without realizing it. I did the proper interview process that everyone else did. But essentially, the the boss of the London office, his name is J.B. Stedman, he said, come in for a chat. We're, we're really close to Makers Academy. And so we organized this chat a couple of weeks later. And what I didn't know was that was the first round of their formal interview process. So the, <laughs> the, their famous pairing interview, that was it. Right. And so oh, wow. after that, I got, yeah, yeah. So in a way it was good. I didn't know because I wasn't, I wasn't nervous. You weren't nervous, <laughs> right. Like no, right. I just was like, oh, this is fun. I'm doing this, this, this pairing thing. And, and so when I went back to the office after the fair and I said, oh, I, I, I'm going to speak to the person who runs this, the, the, the office of this company called Pivotal all the Makers Academy people were like, what? Oh my gosh, this is amazing. We, we, a lot of our practices that we follow here have been inspired by Pivotal. This is great. And so, yeah, before I finished the bootcamp, I had a, I had a job lined up at Pivotal and I worked there for a year and a half after the bootcamp. Okay. Wow. That's pretty spectacular. It's pretty cool, right? To go right yeah. from your bootcamp to such a good job. So then what happened? So were you just like, what was your next step in this journey? I'm someone who always has side projects. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are like this. I think you're the same. I always had something on the side that I, even if I even didn't find time to work on it, I just have ideas in my head. So I was always kind of hacking away. And it got to a point after about a year, I started to feel like, okay, I want to do my own thing now. I think I got a bit tired of just being moved from project to project, not, you know, not being able to like really craft a own a product and like see it through and I also felt like and I know this is this comes with you know working in different companies there were times where I just felt like you know oh I'm I'm just like a bock a billability sort of tool and I'm just like yeah I'm a resource basically it got to a right. point where I felt like you know we're trying to pivotal trying to be as billable as possible and where does Nadia fit and you know I also ended up getting and I I loved I loved Overall, I loved my time at Pivotal, but I remember I worked, I was, even though I was Pivotal Labs employee, I worked on Cloud Foundry, their platform as a service for a really long time. So that's like, you know, cloud platforms, distributed systems, that side of things. And I felt like I was losing touch with my web and app development skills. I went into a niche, basically. I went from Ruby, Rails, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, all that stuff to basically working with like 
distributed systems and I remember we were moving from Ruby to Go and it was all super interesting but I just felt like it was such a niche and I was also worried about losing the skills that would enable me to kind of be like flexible when I was trying to implement my own ideas later and so those things meant that I actually ended up there was another colleague there who he he was always hacking around on projects too and we got talking and then we started hacking around on different side projects and at one point we got a good contract to do a little a, a, a contract and we decided it was like a six-month contract and we thought well if we do this contract we will then have enough money to do our own product afterwards. And so after a year and a half, we both handed in our resignation and then went and ran this business. And weren't you also at some point a co-founder on Code Newbies? Yes. Yeah, so look, this, this could be a very long story, but the summer <laughs> is, that business that okay. I left. It just didn't work out. The partnership wasn't right. We didn't have any product ideas that were inspiring. And okay. we ended up running out of money and being staffed on a banking project. We had to take a banking project. And it was really good money. But I just wasn't fulfilled. And I just saw this world where, wait, I quit. I turned down my banking job all those years ago to go into software and entrepreneurship. And now here I am. And I was co-founder of this company, but I felt like I'd become like a glorified consultant on this yeah. bank where like it wasn't, it just wasn't the most fun, felt very undervalued. And I just felt like I was wasting my potential and I just wasn't super happy. And so I quit that business okay. without knowing what I was going to do. Oh, but because okay. Yeah, but because my co-founder and I from that business, we didn't, we were just saving our money. We were just okay. saving the money we were earning because we were going to invest it in our own product. Right. And so when I left, I took half of that money. I got half of that money, which essentially equated to five years of runway for me. Nice. And so, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. And so Saron, who runs Code Newbie, was like, come and be my co-founder at Code Newbie. And I was like, Really? Are you sure? And so in the end, I decided to give it a go. And I was on the verge of moving to the States to, to do this thing properly. But in the end, ultimately, it didn't work out. And Saron decided that it wasn't the right direction that Code Newbie was going in. And so that after a year, I was kind of like, you know, left in the lurch and like, again, uncertain with four years of runway now. Right. And so I was like, oh, I still have four years of runway. And, and I couldn't, after having a year of just like, doing you know doing it was it wasn't kind of my own thing but being like a co-founder or something and trying to take something off the ground I just thought you know what I'm gonna and I'd had two kind of partnerships that didn't work out or companies that didn't work out and I was like you know what I'm just gonna start something by myself now okay. I've got four years of runway right and actually I didn't even say I'm gonna start a company I just said you know, I have all these side projects that I haven't really been able to focus on in the last three, four years because of work and just other hobbies and things that I get up to outside of work. And so I said to myself, so it was January 2019, and I said to myself, I'm going to take the two side projects that I'm most excited about, and I'm just going to spend January hacking away on them. I'm, I'm not going to put any expectations I'm not going to put any pressure on it I'm just going to okay. work you know as like I said I've got four years so I'm just going to work on these two and I had two apps so one of them was a running app and it auto-generated running routes for you so you would give your starting point and you would say I want to run five kilometers or I know in the states it's more miles isn't it like I'm going to run like yeah. <laughs> Three miles. And it would basically give you a running route that started and ended where you were. And it, this was inspired by the fact that I used to, I don't run as much now because I do other things, but I used to run and I would just 
I when I figured out what a 5k route was or a 10k route was I would just do the same route and I would get like bored of it and so this was a way to help me you know find new routes or when I was traveling for conferences you know if it would be a way right. to go on a run in an unfamiliar place. So anyway, that was one app that I was going to work on in January. And the second one was Reading Lists app, where essentially it was only meant to be a companion app to Goodreads because I had been using Goodreads for eight years at this point, seven, eight years. But there was no way to create private lists or lists that you shared with a select few friends that you could then track your progress through. So say you, you you had a subject matter you wanted to delve into. So you put together a reading list and then you would have a progress bar. Or, you know, I have a friend who whenever she rates a book really highly, I want to read those books. I would want to collect them in a list and see, you know, these 20 books, how many of them have I read? That kind of thing. And so I was like, I'm going to spend January of 2019 just working ping-ponging between these two apps and so I got to like I don't know it would would have been January 1st or January 2nd maybe (laughs) and I said right which one am I going to start with and I said let me start with the reading app and essentially I have never picked up the running app I have just (laughs) since from then to now I've just been working on the reading app and it's grown into the story graph wow so wow there's so much in that that I want to talk about okay so let's start with You started working on the reading app and you never pivoted to the running app because you were having so much fun or like what, what made you see that this had potential? Okay. So so this is what it was. You know how, so I, because this was a side project I'd had for years. So I actually had a backlog with a friend set up in an old pivotal tracker. And so, again, because this wasn't a, this is going to be a business. This is just a side project. I just spent a week yeah, I think it was a week, just hacking through or working my way through the backlog. I wasn't worried about customer research or anything like that. And I just had so much fun. Like I felt so alive. And you know, they talk about the founder product fit. Yes. Yes. This was the first time I was like, oh, like I need to work on books and reading. It was like the first time I felt alive, like really like super passionate. And so at this point, I had this feeling like I need to build something to do to do with books. And so at that point, I then said, let me show this prototype that I've built to people. And so I, I got, you know, I did because I know the importance of customer research. I'm always trying to talk to customers. And so when I decided I'm going to be serious about this or see, basically see if there's a need for something in this space, I was like, OK, let me do a customer research interview, a customer research round and see if there's something here. So I, I lined up five people. And I, I asked them about their reading and then I showed them this demo that I built. And essentially, after those interviews, I realized that I had to stop that app. It wasn't compelling or exciting enough. There was a lot of, this is cool. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, I, I, guess I, I would guess... use it for this. Yeah. So I immediately right. was like, okay, no. So right. at that point, I said to myself, okay, this feeling of working on a on a book's product is super exciting, but this is not it. And so I put that aside and I spent the next three months just doing customer interviews. So I didn't, because I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, I don't want to build something that people don't use or don't need. Like I was like, if I, so I just started doing customer interviews. So the first round, the hypothesis was, is there, is there any pain? It was, it was more research gathering. It was like, are there any pain points in the book space? 
Right. So then after that round, I think I discovered, okay, people still find it hard to get consistent, high quality recommendations from one source. You know, people would often have, you know, one or two trusted friends. If you didn't have any people in your network who read, then it was even harder. You know, you might have some articles or like bloggers that you followed, but it was a lot harder. And so I was like, wow, okay, recommendations, because this is still just me on my own, like trying to figure stuff out. And so then then I started doing more research being like okay what is not working with current recommendation systems how are people currently trying to find books and that's when I ended up on the whole moods aspect I I would see I, I started to get involved in the books community on Instagram as well and I started to see the language that people were using they would say I've just read this book it made me feel this way what other books like will evoke similar feelings or I'm a mood reader I was seeing this a lot I'm a mood reader and so that's when I said okay there's something in this mood space and so then I started to go down that route and essentially it was three months of customer research until I felt like I had enough of a concept for an alpha and the alpha was just a straight up personal recommendation service, nothing else. So how many people do you think you spoke to during those three months of customer research? Like ballpark. So let's think. Of, so maybe about it wasn't like actually that many. So probably if I did about maybe four or five rounds and maybe f- five, five to eight in each. So maybe I don't know, maybe in about 30 to 50, because, you know, I would. I would I was quite strict with I'm not going to do anything until I've done the customer research. So say I had a yeah. round of 5 to 8 people, they could be spread out over a week or two weeks and right. then I would do my okay. synthesis. And so I didn't try and like so even though it was like 3 months, it it wasn't like every single day I was talking to a load of people because I also didn't want to feedback overload if you know what I mean. Yes. You said, and then you do your synthesis. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So that that's a way of basically drawing out learnings from the from the research. So essentially, it's a basic, yeah, it's a way of like doing the analysis and then figuring ah. out what's next. Okay. So for me, yeah, I do, I do it. I mean, you could do it in many different ways. One of my most common ways is to get like a virtual a sticky board, like with post-it notes. Yeah. And draw out the key points. And what I, what I do, by the way, is I'm, I record the interviews video record them and watch them back because that means particularly because I'm doing them by myself so to it means that I don't write down what I think I heard as opposed to writing down what they actually said so I try when I'm interviewing by myself I record I always ask permission and I record the interviews and then I watch them back and take I take down what they say bullet points and then I group up across the different people I group up them into themes and then I'm able to see Ah, people keep talking about they can't find recommendations. People keep talking about how they don't trust uh, the ratings on Goodreads or like you would see patterns. And that's what would help drive that would that's what would help uh, figure out what the hypothesis or the question was going to be for the next round. Okay, And you also said you got involved in an Instagram book book space (laughs) what is that how so two questions around that what does that mean and how like what pointed you in that direction so they call it bookstagram (laughs) (laughs) it's the books community on instagram and it's called bookstagram (laughs) cool didn't know about that and I think when I had said to one of my friends that I was um looking in the you know I was excited about an idea in the books and reading space she said do you know about the books community on Instagram and I just I was like no I don't know (laughs) she essentially I learned about 
oh, that was the other thing I did. You know, the three months of research, it was yeah. also not only did I do customer interviews, I also went to lots of industry events, like publishing events. So I saw panels and ah. to learn more about the industry and see if there were pain points on the on the publishing side or the author side. Okay. And so it was mentioned in a couple of talks then, this Bookstagram, growing community of Bookstagram, 30 million posts on this hashtag. So I just started looking through that tag and seeing different accounts and just seeing what they were posting, what they were talking about, what they were complaining about. So there was lots of complaints of being in reading slumps and saying, you know, I just can't, there's all these books, I have all these books at home, but none of them are appealing to me. And, and I was, and this is when I started to move towards like, if I could, you know, build something that could help someone say, oh, this is actually the perfect book, you know, for you right now, given your mood and given your reading tastes, that would be amazing. And so that's the kind of, my customer research was just kind of trying to figure out if that was a compelling, useful, valuable product at all. This fascinates me so much because that is such a hard problem. Like Amazon can't solve that problem with all of their engineers and data scientists. So it's funny you said that because as you, so I'm still working solo at this point and I definitely had people say to me like, People, maybe other founders who tried it or other yeah other people who'd worked in this space and there was definitely a lot of good luck it's basically impossible and there's right. Amazon and you know I just it was that founder product fit thing is probably yeah. the reason why I continued during those times where I was like you know is this silly am I am I you know going down a path that's just not worth it but I just right. couldn't let it go so I just said to myself don't don't think about Amazon. And I also was like, don't think about Goodreads. Don't think about what's out there. Just right. you focus on the next step each time. So that's why the customer research rounds were very grounding. Because I just said to myself, I'm not thinking about what I'm trying to build or this big, amazing product I'm going to build or that kind of thing. And I'm going up against Amazon. I didn't even think like that. I just said, just follow, follow the crumbs, follow the right. little nuggets and just right. take each day. And like, even sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Like now I have to be like, just take each day, Nadia, you know, right. keep going, just follow, just follow what the customers are telling you and what, you know, the pain points you see. And if I had focused on, if I had said at the beginning, yeah, I'm going to take on Amazon, I'm going to build an amazing recommendation algorithm and it's going to be the best. I think I would have very quickly probably lost confidence <laughs> and said, no, I can't, I can't do this. Although yeah. I don't like saying I can't do anything, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like that coupled with the fact that you're selling to customers, like the number one piece of advice I always got was like, never sell directly to consumers ever. Uh, it's so funny you say that because when I was reading about entrepreneurship while at uni and all that, and even, you know, talking with entrepreneurs, I, I always heard the thing of like, you want to get into a B2B space. It's like a lot right. better. You can charge more. And so again, when I was thinking about, I want to be an entrepreneur, I was always thinking, I was always trying to gravitate towards B2B ideas. And it was so funny because I had this moment when StoryGraph started picking up and and I was thinking about the business model and all that. And I was thinking, oh, I'm in exactly the kind of business that I didn't want to do in terms of like the, <laughs> the financial and also just de dealing with customers is hard. And, it, you know, it can be very, it's, you know, it's tough. And so, it's, so yeah, we, it's definitely a hard business to be in. Yeah. So you said that one of the things you, one of the tactics you use to kind of deal with that is focus on one day at a time and focus on your customers. Has there been any points on this journey when you just want to quit? Like it just feels too hard, especially by yourself. Like, weren't you so lonely in the beginning? 
Oh yes, like you know, I was, and luckily, because I live, I live by myself as well. So luckily, Pivotal was super friendly, and I was still able to just go in and use a desk in their office. So once or twice a week, I would That's go nice. in, and you know, just be able to work with old, alongside old friends. So that was super helpful. But the thing is, I definitely had moments of, particularly when I was pre-product, I definitely yeah. had moments of doubt or you know is this do I have the skill set to even build something that would be compelling enough within a reasonable time frame like I said I really think I was just lucky with that I didn't have anything else that I would rather go and do at that at that point in time you know I didn't want to get a job I didn't have any other grand idea and up until that point nothing else had gotten me that excited from a product perspective than the area of books and so that is what even in the moments where I was where I thought you know I'd hit a dead end or there was one customer research round where I was was, was essentially trying to test for product market fit and the results were basically like your product is a nice to have and I remember Mm. it being so deflating and being like oh do I just stop here now this is this is never going to be more than a nice to have and you can't build a business on a nice to have but yeah, I just think it was that I just couldn't let it go. I think there was there was kind of a gut or instinct thing as well that just kept on driving me through, I guess. And I think the other thing is, even when I had those moments, like when I was, when I had the alpha and the beta, there were always some people who were super excited. Yeah. Even, okay. Yeah. And, and, and so I would... I would I would see an email from them or, you know, they would respond to, you know, my newsletter that I do. And it would always there would always be something that would just say there's something here. Keep going. Whether it was happened yeah. to be something from a customer or just an internal kind of feeling that I'm like, no, you haven't. As long as there was something that I could do, as in whether it was a customer research round to find the answers or you haven't implemented the things that you've learned from the customer research round. It was there was always just, I don't know, something that just kept me going and to say just okay just do this next step before you you know pack it in just do this next step so you did three months ish of a customer research and then you did an alpha and then what did you do from there so it got to the point where I realized I, I I had like I think I onboarded two rounds of people onto the alpha okay and again talking I I would let people use it and then I would kind of do I can't remember whether I did video customer research or email or survey but long story short is the it got to the point where the feedback was pointing in one direction and that was this recommendation looks awesome and looks perfect for me but I'm not going to read it until I finish the book I'm currently reading and the other five books that I've got on my shelf so it got to the point where okay this product is is never going to be it's not very useful because the real pain point is not necessarily finding new books it's choosing your next book. That That's what it is. It was like people say, I've got all these books at home and this one now just goes onto the list. Right. So that's when I kind of pivoted the product to, okay, definitely sometimes people need new books, but a lot of the time they just need pointing in the right direction for books like already on their radar or they know the kind of things they want to read about, but there's like 50 of them. So how do we yeah. help them choose the best one for them? And so that's when I shut down the alpha because it was a lot of work because I was personally recommending books to people doing research and recommending Oh, books. wait, what? Wait, can you- Yeah, that was the alpha. <laughs> you were you were personally like, oh, they like these books. They'd probably like this one. I had a survey. Oh. Yeah, I did a survey. So they had like a profile oh, wow. and then and then they filled out a form on the on the on the on this website. And I think they ha- I had a deadline. You'll get it within this much time. And then they got an email saying your recommendations ready. Oh, wow. And it was like, it was all very <laughs> manual. <laughs> but, that is impressive. 
Yeah, so it got to the point where I said, I've learned enough from this alpha, so I'm going to shut it down and I'm going to spend three months building a beta because I'd done enough research by this point that I could put together a backlog. Right. And actually, that's when I started my newsletter because I said to myself, it's just me at home. I'm now going to get heads down and build this beta and I'm worried about losing momentum from like all the people who have spoken to me in my research rounds and been excited. I'm worried. I wanted some form of accountability or some form of like, okay, if people are expecting a, a newsletter, an email from me every week, I've got to have something interesting to say every week. Right. And so I, I, I started the the newsletter, I think it must have been June of 2019. Okay. When I started building the beta. And I think I, I think the first issue is called like building a beta. And so, yeah. And so then I just spent two or three months building this beta which was a more fully fledged product where you could track okay. books you wanted to read and you could filter by mood and pace and all the di- di- dimensions that I'd learned th- from my months of research that people were really looking for when they were trying to find books to read. So almost six months from of customer research and playing with ideas and testing product before you launched the the beta. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then is that what your product is now? That's That was about two years ago now? That code base is the one yeah. that's currently now live, yes. Okay. And what did you find when you launched that? How did that go? So originally I launched it private, or I called it concierge beta. I was manually Ooh, onboarding people. I like that. Yeah, I was like, who wants to be part of my concierge beta? That's a and great I made, idea. Made it sound fancy. And then because I was I was manually onboarding people, so I was manually adding in every single book in the in the database. I um okay. I had to I remember people had to fill out a form and one of the one of the fields was, So how many books do you have in your Goodreads library? And I essentially avoided people who had like three hundred books or something. <laughs> and so I, you don't Um, make you don't pass the test (laughs) yeah and so I yeah I just onboarded people and then there was an aspect of the product where because every time I onboarded a new person a bunch of new books got added to the product and then I had these filter menus where you could filter by uh genre or the mood or pace and so I realized wait I don't people anyone could find this useful for book discovery and so then I made the beta public in September and um Yeah, initial feedback was kind of like, okay, this is interesting. And that's when I realized that I needed to be very much more intentional about about who my customer was at that time, because I I kind of said, everyone come. And so I realized that when people were saying, "Mm, it doesn't really work for me, I realized, wait, they're not my customer for the beta. So even though, you know how they say, like, you know, when you start a product, you want to you want to have a clear definition of who your customer is and it's better to go more uh, niche because you can expand out later. And so I realized, even though in my mind, I was like, this could be for everybody. This will be for everybody. I was like, no, at this stage of the product, you can't pretend to cater to to everybody. You have to filter like out. And so I remember starting with like avid mood readers. It was like, you read a lot and you're always reading multiple books and you you stop and start books because you're you you're maybe not in the mood for it now and that was okay. super helpful in, in on onboarding people who really felt like the product resonated with them because they they felt you know there was a lot of finally a product for us mood readers like that that yes. was the original and then as the you know the product developed it's kind of now expanded to be but i also had a, a hypothesis as well which was kind of underlying everything which was 
you know, they sometimes they say like, what do you believe that not necessarily everyone believes? And this is not like some wacky idea. But I got, I came to the viewpoint that really everyone's a mood reader. But even though, you know, I would have some people say, I'm not a mood reader at all. Like I, I just, you know, I stick to this list and I read it and that's it. But my like hypothesis was, I think everyone is on the scale of mood reading. Because there are some times when you don't like a book and maybe if you picked it up at another time, it might have worked for you or another, like in a different context. And sure, right. there are some books that will never work for you. They're just not for you. But I do think that everyone has an element of mood reading in them. And so when I real when I realized that that was it, I became a lot more comfortable with specifying this niche early on because I knew that, you know, eventually the product would hopefully develop into something that had wider appeal. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I feel that way sometimes, right? Like I wouldn't say I'm a mood reader, but there's, I have multiple books and sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't feel like reading this one tonight. So that was 2019 and since, right? September, 2019. So Mm -hmm. since then you have hired a co-founder? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yes. So it's hired, not the right word. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Brought on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was to say, because I say, it's funny because I, I never, even we have someone who also works for us part time. And actually she, Abby came first before Rob did. But, but even though, yes, technically it's like a, I'm in charge. I never see it that way. You know what I mean? It's very much like, okay. even with Abby, I'm like, oh, we're all colleagues working together. <laughs> but, but yeah, so first actually came Abby. So it got to the point where one day it was while I was still doing the beta. I don't know how this got, someone did a tweet about the story graph, the beta, and then I, I remember seeing like Twitter notifications blowing up okay. and essentially Scott Hanselman, who has like a quarter of a million mm-hmm. Twitter yeah. followers or, or, or more, retweeted this tweet. And I remember being like, no, not now. I, I, need this, <laughs> I need this exposure later. So I had a flood of users and a flood of requests to like add new books and and add books that fit this category and that category. And so I just said to myself, wow, I can either build the product or I can spend days doing these manual requests for people. And so that's when I was like, I need help. And so actually two years ago tomorrow, exactly, because I I reached out to Abby on the 22nd of September, 2019, and she started on the 23rd of September, I believe. And, and I remember this because my birthday is on the 24th. So I remember onboarding her and saying, just so you know, I'm not doing any work tomorrow because it's my birthday. <laughs> so it's her two-year anniversary tomorrow. So two years ago, I said, I need help. I reached out to her. I'd met her. She was a well-known bookstagrammer. Okay. And she was just going freelance. It worked out so well. And she okay. reads a lot. So, you know, she had a wide breadth of knowledge in this space. And I just reached out to her and I said, I need help is this something you're interested in? So she came on board and she started helping do a lot of admin and just tidying up of book data and just helping me do just manual requests for people to onboard them. And then later that year, it was was Saron's husband who actually saw something on Twitter. We got talking. I spoke about how I was doing, spending hours manually entering books and adding in the moods and the pace and all that kind of stuff. And he he said, oh, I've been learning machine learning. I No promises, but maybe I can um, help automate this for you. And yeah, like within two weeks, he had some amazing first version. Yes. And essentially since then, he's just, yeah, he's just been working on it. And I think four months after he first reached out, he'd quit his job and joined full time. Wow. And I remember being like, whoa, like <laughs> I have no money for you, like just so you know. Like, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, he just got some equity and we've been working ever since. So 
yeah, he will be two years in February, two years full time. So yeah. So when you hired Abby, she was a freelancer. So were you paying her out of pocket? Because you weren't charging yet at that point. So actually, I it was mostly out of product. It was mostly out of pocket because I was ma- mainly putting money into the company. But right. I did run a paid beta program because when oh. I sh- yes, when I shut down the alpha product, I still brought in those personal recommendations to the beta. But okay. I was like, you know, I can't just be doing this. It, I didn't want to just offer this to everyone. It did, like it wouldn't scale, and it was a lot of time. And so I essentially pitched this paid beta program where you could pay five bucks a month, and you would okay. get uh, a personal recommendation a month. And also you would, I think, I can't remember if you, you, I think you got access to some extra features, but there was also a monthly call with me. Well, there were two monthly calls with me, a group call and also a one-on-one call. And this was just basically having invested beta testers who were always testing out the product. The group call was great because people were bouncing ideas off one another. And then the one-on-one call, there's nothing like a one-on-one call just to get the real honest feedback and really understand how people use the product. And so some of that money basically went into paying Abby, but ultimately, yeah, it was still I still needed it was it that wasn't enough that maybe covered a few months and then it was yeah money that I had put into the company and then when Rob joined he started putting in money into the company as well so it's been two years how many users do you have now so we have we're we're close to half a million registered users registered users active is about in the in the two quarter of a million to 300,000 mark at the minute. But I'm looking at, because, you know, my birthday is in three days. And I'm like, ooh, we're, we're 4K off of half a million registered users. So wow, maybe it'll be a birthday present. So yeah, we are. So that's how many registered users we have. So we have hundreds of thousands of users, like active users. And we have, we have, you know, thousands of, thousands of um, users who hit the site or the app every, every day. We have like about over 20 million page views a month at this point so wow. yeah it's going well and we're trying to you know we're doing our plus plan so we're we're on the path to profitability as well so we've got over two we've got 2140 ish paying customers we have a okay. monthly plan and an annual plan and essentially people get extra features and so we're about we're basically at the break even point now and if the trajectory continues we'll be able to be profitable so we're hoping wow. that that continues and also that our costs we, 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 we're paying close attention to our costs right now and how, because we've not operated at this scale before. And so we're trying to figure out, make sure things are optimized because we don't want a world in which it keeps growing. The costs grow a lot bigger than our subscription fees come in because sure. that won't be sustainable. Yeah. So that's right. our main focus. My main focus right now is the profitability piece. And you guys decided to charge the users. So it's was- funny. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was going to say, it's funny you, you make that point because when originally I was going down this route of a book site, because I've always, you know, entrepreneurship, it's always like you want to get to profitability or earning money as soon as possible. And right. so my original thing was, okay, I'm going to be charging, I'm going to be doing publishers or authors, something along those lines. And I remember I actually got, I was thinking like, you know, publishers, they want to advertise or they want to, you know, the, the the main way was like advertise or put their, have their books, you know, be highlighted amongst others and I remember that one of the things I learned from customer research was that people didn't trust certain recommendations from certain places because they said it's always the biggest publishers it's always the same books it's always the publishers with money and so I said well I never want to have the recommendations be tainted by who like publishers that have the most money and so people don't trust them I want them to be 
the best book for you. And so I kind of went off that track. And then there was also a whole world around like data and like anonymized data, but trends and things like that. But I was like, you know, people, that's a very, I don't know if I want to go down the route of like data, like reports in terms of like, you know, how, what are people searching for, looking for? Because I know that's something publishers would be interested in too, but I know that, you know, like people are, I wanted to make sure that we run a, ran a high trust like product and company. Yeah. And I also got some advice from a mentor that basically said the best company can get like, can get, gives so much value to their users directly that the users want to pay. And so I always said to myself, okay, let's test this. Can we build something? Even though it's very, it seems very unlikely, people don't believe it's possible because it's a books website. Goodreads right. is completely free for right. users. Right. I was like, can we? Like, let's just test it. So we, in October of 2020, the years are all messed up because of, you know, the pandemic. So I'm right. just in my mind, I'm like, last <laughs> Time year, is year all... last, what happened? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so October 2020, it must have been. We just put up a page because we were our costs were going up because we were growing, and yeah. we were like, okay, we need to start thinking about how you know Rob and I like financially were fine. So I, you know, I had the few years still, and and Rob was fine, and so it was more that we're like, if we're going to make this a long term sustainable business, we need to start thinking about profitability from now. Yeah, and so we just put up a page, a, a pre order. We said Storygraph Plus is coming next year. I said early twenty twenty one, purposefully gave myself yeah. some room. And we just said, these are the features you're getting. Just sketch them out. D didn't exist. $30 pre-order. It's going to be $50. <laughs> and we had 1,400 people pay. <laughs> wow. Um, and so we were like, right, okay, let's build this plus thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And wow. so we, it got to the point where, because we, were, we officially launched January of this year, Okay. And it got to, after launch, I was like, right, okay, now we need to launch the plus plan because we have all this money that people have paid us and they want their extra features. <laughs> and so we spent, yeah, so I remember we eventually got it out just the end of February, beginning of March. If you were in the States, it was, it was February. Where okay. I was, it was first of March, like early hours of the morning. And yeah, the plus plan launched. And so, it, yeah, we've been... It, we had a kind of, it wasn't, uptake wasn't super great originally. Um, and then we've just been, again, I've been just doing customer research. So I've I've been speaking to the people who use the product every day, finding what is it that makes them keep coming back. Because the product wasn't designed to be used every day. But I would see people tweeting and saying things like, I love Storygraph. I use it every day. It's like, I need to talk to these people using <laughs> the product every day. Even I don't use it every day. What are you doing? <laughs> And so I learned, okay, these are the most avid readers. So they're updating something every day. And then they're looking at their stats. They all love stats. So then it was like, okay, how do I, we enhance the stats piece? And what do we give the most active users also tended to be paying members. So how can we enhance the stats for them? And it was like, I was going down that route. So I've been involving the, the, the plus product. And also, yeah, just and like just trying to continually improve the product, making it more visible. So some people, you know, we had so many people originally say, I didn't even know there was plus. So now mm. I, I, I then spent time adding little badges around the site saying there's a plus feature here or, you know, unlock this plus feature if you if you if you if you're interested in like more advanced stats or if you want a special type of similar books that's more focused on your preferences you know little tips around the product in a way that's hopefully we're trying to get the balance between 
what people love about our product right now is there are no ads or anything. It's very clean and quiet. And so I didn't want to have suddenly big banners everywhere saying plus, 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 right. but enough that people noticed it and knew it existed. And so things like getting an email when your free trial expires, like little things I've been doing and we've seen, we've just seen like it, the uptake grow and grow. And yeah, we recently, we recently released a very powerful feature, which um, it's up next suggestions. And essentially we recommend books from your to read pile and we give you a reason why so we basically help you pick up we, we basically give you specific suggestions from books you've already said you want to read and help you choose what you read next so we'll say maybe this one because you a similar user to you enjoyed this one or if you want something similar to the last book you read maybe this one or if you're doing a reading goal and you're behind here's like a short one to to pick up so this has been a very this has added a lot of value to our paying members because it's just helped them actually work through rather than just adding a bunch of books that they want to read help them actually right. read them and that right. that's just an amazing when we get that feedback when people are saying wow you're actually helping me read books that I've wanted to read for ages or cleared books on my bookshelf it's such an amazing feeling to know we're actually helping enhance readers lives in this way this whole story is utterly amazing to me it's like you guys were never in a box like the rest of us are trying to get out of our box and you're like, I was never in a box. I'm going to do exactly <laughs> what I want. You know, I think because like I live very heavily in that indie SaaS world. So I listen to a lot of indie hackers. And if you listen to indie hackers, 9.5 out of 10 people Cortland has on are developers making tools for other developers, right? Like we, yeah. we're all really tightly coupled. And what you have done, like you did everything I don't want to say wrong. That's not the right word. But like you did everything we have always been told not to do, right? You're like, don't care about your rules. I'm just going to do it because I love it and I'm passionate about it. And I don't know. It's just so exciting for me to Aww. see you take this like really hard problem that no one thought they could solve and try and solve it. And now you guys are having so much success. Like that's so awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I think I see what you're saying in terms of it's not the... It's, it's like true what you said, because they say, you know, build for what you know. And so that whole pattern of developers building for developers yeah. and or even what you said, the bef what we spoke about before, the whole business to business thing as a, being a smart way. It's easy to kind of figure out what your price, much easier to figure out pricing and to also, you know, like know who, who you're going to speak to and sell into companies. That kind of stuff is a lot. There's a lot more of a a playbook I would say like every yes. every case is still different yes. but there's a lot more of yeah. a, a playbook and it's a lot easier to I think get to that profit profitability piece sooner but I would say the one thing that I just think is just if 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 you like you just have to do it it's the customer research like that is the yeah. thing that because like you said this is just such a big huge space and it's a really hard problem and you know we've done a good job of solving it so far and we've we've got a we could take what we've currently got and make it miles better. Like even though people love it already and think it's great, we have got like a bigger vision with it and lots more we want to do. But just because we just stay, just stick with that customer research and just really, you know, having a good process around it and being not shying away from it as well and also not cutting corners with it so there'll be times when I would do research and I'm like no you have to find the time to watch them back and do the synthesis Nadia don't just you know what like anecdotally be like oh yeah right. people generally think this like actually do the research you know and it's, you know I'll always find some new pattern or something or even if it was just confirming something 
I had kind of guessed, but just, you know, seeing it and having the confidence to say, okay, this is what's going on right now. I just think that has been the, a big part of us doing well so far. I would say so far, because you never, you never know with stuff like this, right? What if, you know, hoping those plus numbers still keep going up, hoping people still keep loving the product, you know, it's, it's a, even though, yeah, we're two years in and we're doing, going well and we're almost at half a million, I still, you still have the thing of like, you know, this could all fall apart or like just stop working. You could start plateauing or, you know, so I'm always trying to keep that in mind and just keep, just stay focused. Mm -hmm. What is your long-term vision for your life and story graph? Okay. I would love, so we're not, so we want to stay indie. Our dream is to stay an independent company that's profitable. So Rob and I can have our salaries and we can invest back in the product, whether that's hiring a a handful of people or hiring people who work with us on a like short-term basis to to help where we need, like if it's design stuff perhaps, or, you know, product overview or accessibility. That's something that I've been, you know, trying to always improve on all different facets of the product. But essentially, yeah, I just want to build a product that is, it's known as a really excellent tool for tracking your reading and choosing your next book. It's basically known as, I would love the product to be essentially seen as like your best friend that like knows all about your reading, but also knows about all the books in the world. So you just trust them. <laughs> and it's just yeah. the it's just a joy to use. And if yeah. that brings joy to readers, uh, avid readers, it enhances their lives and also inspires people who don't read or maybe used to read to pick up a book and get into reading. And then we're bringing so much value that we can stay profitable and independent and running for several, several years to come. That would be absolutely incredible. Wow. Wonderful. Well, Nadia, thank you so much for coming on Software Social today and sharing with us your adventures in (laughs) building StoryGraph. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to have been invited. That's going to wrap up today's episode. Please check us out on Twitter, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become Software Socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, 
Larabelle's, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.Page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.